If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 15th chapter, the book of Acts, as we continue our study through the Word. So we've been watching the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. We saw as they headed through Cyprus and onto the mainland, they headed up to Antioch, they preached there. And you remember how the whole city came out the second Sabbath, how they had asked them to preach again. And you remember that there in Antioch was where really great opposition came. And, and so they became upset, envious of the influence and, and started to persecute. They raised up the leaders against uh, Paul and Barnabas. And you'll remember that they were expelled uh, from there. They head from there to Iconium. And once again, they were well received in Iconium. The word of God was spreading, but the opposition from Antioch comes down and stirs things up again. It is becoming more and more violent. The opposition is becoming more and more aggressive. We see that when they were in Antioch, they were expelled from the city and there was threats and opposition. By the time they get now to Iconium and the Antioch opposition follows them down, there is now threat of stoning. Now there is word that is coming to Paul and Barnabas that, that their lives are in danger. And you remember that they discovered the plot and so they departed from there and, and they head to Lystra. In Lystra, you'll remember how they are preaching the gospel and many are receiving it. And there was that crippled man from birth and. Paul the apostle looks at him and tells him to stand up and rise and and you remember the great miracle that was performed and the people saw the power of God on display we talked about how our testimonies are the power of God on display it's not just the word of God but it is the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives and and so you remember that, uh, that they wanted to take and to make Paul and Barnabas gods. They said that the gods have come down. Hermes and, and Zeus are visiting us. And you'll remember that and Paul and Barnabas, they had to calm things uh, down. And, and so from there, you'll remember that there was the Antioch opposition that followed them down, stirred the people up. And this time they did stone Paul laid hands on them and stoned them and, and then drug them out of the city. And, and you remember that he revived, he, he, he was brought back to life and he heads back into the city and, and then afterwards they depart. They, they head from there to Derby and, and in Derby we see that there was no opposition, just a work of God and, and then Derby ended up being their turning point where they now head back and they backtrack through all of the cities that they have visited, strengthening the, the church, strengthening the believers, laying hands, appointing elders, and, and so they make their way all the way back into Antioch. As you look at the summary of that first missionary trip, you really see the great courage of um, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the incredible opposition that they were experiencing, and, and their lives being threatened, more than just threatened, they, they were abused, Paul is stoned, and, and we see yet the incredible 
perseverance uh, of uh, Paul and, and Barnabas. And, and that really speaks to me about our own faith, about the way in which regardless uh, of the things that are going on in our lives, the, the way that we hold on to our faith, we hold on to the tremendous goodness of God in our lives and, and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to continue to persevere. Our lives will have ups and downs. There will be times when our life becomes more difficult than at other times. And there is that need to press deeply into the Lord for that strength. I wonder how deeply Paul and Barnabas had to press into the strength of the Lord as they faced those hardships and those difficulties there out on the road. Jesus said for the joy that was set before him, he endured the, the cross. That, that looking beyond the difficulty to the glory that waits behind. And, and so also in our lives, knowing that whatever it is that we are going through right now is temporary. That there is glory that waits on the other side of that. And, and so it encourages us to be able to continue and to persevere. They come back to Antioch. They share the the tremendous things that God did people were getting saved the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ had gone forth and people's lives were for forever changed eternally and changed and and darkness now was pierced through by the light of the gospel and and so there was a great celebration and glory and the good things that that God was doing we see that there was opposition to the gospel from without, uh, from those that were in the, the, the contrary to the, the beliefs. But we also see here in this upcoming chapter that there is going to be opposition that is going to come against the gospel from within, the threat from without and then also the threat from within. False doctrine is going to enter into the church and there are going to be these false teachers that are going to come into the church there at Antioch. And, and so here we see that the next threat to the early church was, was the doctrine and the solidity uh, of the gospel and not allowing it to become diluted or polluted. And, and so here we pick it up in this 15th chapter and and it says in verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so here the, they are the, in this Gentile city. And, and there were these uh, Jews that had come up uh, from Judea, self-appointed. They weren't sent by the apostles. But they were from Jerusalem. And, and they come into the, the church with an air of authority and the message that they come with uh, is is that unless you're circumcised you, you your salvation doesn't count there they were telling them you're not really saved can you imagine being told in a church service hey guess what everybody you're not really saved you thought you were saved uh, all this time but you're not really saved and the stir that that would create in the church and and the incredible confusion that 
would take place. And, and so we see here that, uh, that, that the false and teachers have been a plague of the church throughout history. And, and as they came in with this doctrine, creating fear and inciting uncertainty in the hearts of the people and the church uh, there, we see that there was a, a, a real concern, a real danger of a split between the Gentiles and the Jews. And, and, and then they said, not only are you not saved, but unless you become circumcised, you cannot be saved. And, and so we see that this wasn't a side issue. This was now the main issue. The main issue is how is a person saved? How does a person enter into the, the kingdom of God? And so it is the very core issue that is at the center of uh, our faith. And, and so this wasn't one of those issues where we can agree to disagree. There are the non-essentials uh, in church that we can agree to disagree. There are churches that sprinkle for baptism and, and there are others that immerse. And, and we can agree to disagree on, on how to actually baptize somebody. But when it comes down to how is a person saved, that, that is the ultimate non-negotiable that there was. And so this incredible, this incredible fear gripped the, the church and the uncertainty into the hearts of, uh, of those that were in Antioch. And, and it says in verse 2, And therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this in question. We see that it says that there was no small dissension. The minute that Paul and Barnabas heard uh, that these teachers were declaring that, that their salvation, the Gentile salvation there in church was null and void, they instantly rallied to the cause. They instantly stepped in it. And it says that there was no small dissension between them. There was significant dispute uh, on this issue. But one of the things they began to realize that this wasn't a localized issue. This wasn't an issue that was going to be able to be solved by the congregation that was there in Antioch. This was the ultimate church issue itself. And so the apostles uh, there in Jerusalem, the seat of authority for the church, needed now to weigh in on this matter. And, and so we see Paul and Barnabas ministering to the congregation, confronting the false teachers, and, and ultimately now appealing to the authority of the, the church itself, the apostles uh, that were there. And so there was a Agreement. The church agreed that this wasn't a, a local issue. This was a, a, a bigger issue than, than just for Antioch. And, and so they agreed that they need to go down and contend with this issue there in Jerusalem in verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. Now, Phoenicia and Samaria, these are regions that are populated largely by the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, and, and so they were sharing their testimony. They were sharing the great things that had happened on their missionary journey and the churches that had been planted uh, there in Iconium and Lystra and Antioch, and, uh, and it says that, uh, that there was great joy to all of the brethren. And, 
in verse 4, And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. They come to the church in Jerusalem, and just like the church in Antioch, upon their arrival back, they shared the things that had taken place in that missionary journey. They, they give their testimony of what God was doing and, and the miracles that had been done, the signs, the wonders, the salvation, the protection of God upon their lives, and the success of that first missionary journey and and so they come and and they give their testimony and and it says in verse 5 but some of the sect of the pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of moses as paul and barnabas are talking about the ways that the gentiles were receiving the gospel and they were getting saved the pharisees uh, were upset they they were telling him they can't just simply become christians gentiles cannot just jump right over the law and, and become christians the salvation comes to the jews we we are god's people and remember that the pharisees were the strictest of the jews now these were pharisees that were believers they were christians they were people that believed that jesus is the messiah and they had put their faith in jesus as the messiah but they also believed at the same time that they needed to keep the law the law was given given by Moses and so you can't just accept Jesus as the Messiah and not and come underneath the revelation of God that was given there to Moses and come underneath the law remember that circumcision is the mark of the covenant of God's people and so if you're God's people and you've accepted Jesus as the Messiah then you need to be circumcised and then accept Jesus as the Messiah and and so these Pharisees now they they saw this as this this shortcut to salvation this jumping around the law of God that was given and revealed and and so they were very passionate in what they believed and and so we see that they are though the error that they are making is is that they are adding to Christ uh, as being necessary for salvation. We are saved by grace through faith and, and that not of ourselves. It's the free gift uh, of God. And, and so we see here that they were trying to, to add. Anytime it's Jesus plus anything, we see that we are on wrong footing. And, and so they were saying it's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus the law. And we see that this is the very heart uh, of the, the issue itself. And now the apostles, uh, verse 6, and elders came together to consider this uh, matter. They, they needed to have discussion about this and to weigh in to what the Pharisees were saying. Now, I want you to know something. These are Christians. Both the sides are, are Christian believers. The Pharisees, they, they had accepted Christ uh, as their Messiah and, and Paul and Barnabas and the others. And, and so what we have, we don't have believers and non-believers contending here. We've got believers contending with believers. And, and what are they doing? They're seeking to understand the will of God. 
what God is doing here. There's a new covenant that has been established in Christ. And, and so what does that mean? And how does that exactly work? And how do we come underneath this new grace? Are there any laws? Is it lawlessness? And Paul will really find, you'll see in, in Romans and some of the other books in, in Galatians, we're, we're going to see this issue of the law and how does a Christian uh, interact with the old covenant and and so these were the things now that that these uh, early apostles uh, were dealing with there in the church and so they came together to consider this matter and it says and when there had been much dispute notice that that there is this disputing they are passionate they are zealous over the things of God and they want to get it right we want to get it right amen we want to get our faith right. We want to know that what we believe is true and that we are honoring God in the way that we are living. They also wanted to get it right. And so they, they are passionate. They are disputing. It says, and, and there was much dispute going on. People had a lot to say on the issue here. And after there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. And said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You can imagine the scene, the, the debating is going on, the conversation, the discussions, the disputing. And, and finally the apostle Peter stands up. The apostle Peter the authority of the Apostle Peter. What an amazing adventure of a life. The life of Peter. The fisherman called by the Lord to set down his nets and come and follow after me. And those three years that he spent with the Lord, the other apostles, the things that they saw, the things that, that they experienced in their life. Peter when he is called by the Lord to get out of the boat and walk on water to him. Peter, the leader of the apostles, just this, this big burly fisherman. And, and now Peter stands up. He weighs in on the matter, on the issue here. And he says, men, brethren, by my own mouth we've already talked about this you already know this and how it was referencing really the the circumstances that had taken place at the house of cornelius you remember the centurion there in caesarea who calls for and peter in the dream and peter is in joppa at the house of the tanner and and he goes to the gentiles house and and you remember that he comes in and starts to share the gospel the whole household gets saved remember how afterwards uh, peter is is called in and and they ask him to give him an account why were you in the house of a gentile what is going on here and and so he recounts to them the way in which they had gotten saved the baptism of the holy spirit had fallen upon them and so he baptized them with water as well and so this was an issue here that there was already some history to behind and 
And Peter says this issue of, uh, of Gentiles and whether or not the gift of salvation goes to the Gentiles or is it only through the Jews and do the Gentiles have to come inside of Judaism and then receive their salvation? And, and Peter is saying, you, you recall, I, out of my own mouth I was sharing the gospel and, and the Gentiles got saved, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And, and so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Peter says this issue was, al was already divinely settled. It was divinely settled uh, there when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the, the Gentiles. And, and so he says that they have been given the Holy Spirit just as we received the Holy Spirit as that gift. And, and there was no distinction made between the, the Gentiles and ourselves. They... They have had their hearts cleansed and purified by, by faith. The psalmist writes in Psalm 24, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may come into the presence of God? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. We see that it is our faith in Christ that now washes us in his shed blood. And so we see the, the faith purifies our hearts, cleanses us from unrighteousness. And in verse 10, now therefore, Peter continuing, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as uh, they. We see that Peter says it's not the place of these Judaizers to test God or to question God about the grace uh, of the gospel. He says, why would you put a yoke on the neck of these disciples that we weren't able to bear? Why would you put the law onto the, the new believers, something that we were not uh, able to keep? And it says in verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Peter opened up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, but then Paul and Barnabas kicked that door open and marched through it, and, and now they talk about all of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that that were being done. The Judaizers were talking about the fact that you need to come through the law to salvation, but there were no miracles and signs and wonders validating the things that they were declaring, that the gospel had come to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas stand up and they, they start talking about the incredible display of power that, that was being shown as, as they preached the gospel to the, the Gentiles. And, and it says there that that the multitude kept silent. In other words, they were willing to listen. 
they were willing to hear the other side and to allow for the testimony of Barnabas and, uh, and Paul to take place uh, here, declaring how many miracles and, and wonders God had worked uh, through them. And so like Peter's argument, the testimony now of Paul and Barnabas was just irrefutable. The teaching that salvation was by grace alone was just stamped with God's approval. And it says, And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Now, this is the James uh, that is the half-brother of Jesus. And he was one of the key leaders there in the early church in Jerusalem. And, and so there has been the disputing. And Peter rises up, gives his testimony. Paul and Barnabas rise up and give their testimony. And, and now James. James is the uh, really one of the chief heads uh, there. And and he is going to answer. He is going to give some final words in this matter. James says in verse 14, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. He begins by discussing Peter's experience there in Caesarea, something that, that the church had wrestled through, that they had pondered deeply uh, on. And so... It begins uh, there. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these uh, things. And so we see here that that James, what does he do? He starts by talking about Peter's experience there at the house of Cornelius. Talks about how salvation went to the Gentiles, but that was the experience of Peter. What does he do, though, that's important is he connects the experience with the Word of God. You see, our experiences always need to be tested against the, the Word of God. And so what does he do? He shows how in the Old Testament uh, it was talked about how the light of the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles, how the light of salvation was going to go to the Gentiles. And, and this now would transpire after the temple had been rebuilt. You'll remember that David, King David, and and the nation go into captivity to the Babylonians and there had been the destruction of it. He says that after the, the temple becomes rebuilt, God is going to regather them again and the gospel, the salvation is going to go out to the Gentiles and show, he shows them that the very things that Peter had experienced, the salvation going to the Gentiles was recorded in the, in the scriptures themselves. Now, the Pharisees were saying that the Gentiles were having to keep the scriptures. And, and here they're showing them that they are keeping the scripture. That, that the salvation has gone to the Gentiles just exactly as Amos. This is a quote here that comes from the book of Amos in chapter 9. And, and so... Even the Gentiles, it says, who are called by my name. Says the Lord who does all these things. And so it speaks about the Gentiles now being called. 
known to God from eternity are all his works. The work of salvation and the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, the foreknowledge uh, of uh, God. And therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. And so here we see that, that he judges. He says, this is my, my position on this. And he says that we shouldn't uh, trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, troubling them means having them be circumcised and come underneath the law. That, that is the, the regard that he is declaring there. He says, but it is sufficient. To, and, and he suggests now these, these four things to abstain from. He says, from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. And, and so here we see these prohibitions that really are mostly concerned with the dietary laws. And, and, and mostly that would have inhibited their enjoying common meals together. We see here that they were not to eat food that had been offered up to idols. They, they were not to partake now of the meat that had the blood in it. They were not to drink or eat blood. And, and so these are pagan practices. They would be offensive to the Jews. And, and so we see that they were to honor God, not to be involved in, in sexual immorality. And, and so again, looking at the pagan religions and the pagan culture and, and the things that they had been involved in the past and how are the Gentiles and the Jews going to find commonality, common ground? And, and so, verse 21 it says, For Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues uh, every Sabbath. He says that if they want to find out about the law and, and the restrictions of the law, the, the law is still being taught in the synagogues everywhere. They can go into the synagogues and they can learn about the law, but in the church, that is not where we are going to be instructing them in. They are not uh, underneath the law. And so we, we see this judgment now that takes place there in Jerusalem on this very issue of, of salvation plus the law or it is just simply salvation by grace and so the issue settled and resolved we will see that they will write these things down and and there will be the return to Antioch and and we will look at those things next time as we close our study here for a moment really wanted to draw our attention back to verse 17 Back to where it says, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does uh, all these things. God purposed to bring salvation to mankind through his son, through Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And so God 
establishes his own people. He looks at all the nations and the people. And, and what does he do? He creates his own nation. He doesn't choose a nation that already was formed. He takes Abraham, a simple man of faith. And out of Abraham, he builds a nation through which he is going to bring the Messiah. This nation now was going to be a testimony to the rest of the world of what God's people in fellowship with God looks like. He would be their shepherd, their protector, their, their provider. He would bring them into a land that flows with milk and honey. If you came against the nation of Israel, you came against God. And, and God would fight um, for them and, and defend them and protect them. And, and so the whole world would see this light, this glorious people group that had been chosen by God to be able to be used as a witness to his goodness uh, and to his grace. And, and then the Savior of the world was going to come. But the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, wasn't to come just to the Jews, but the Savior of the world was the Savior of everybody. And so all people now were going to have access to salvation through Christ. And, and so we see that there had been the promise that had been given here. Amos says that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. We are those Gentiles that Amos is uh, writing about. We are those Gentiles that have taken God's name. We have taken Christ's name. We call ourselves a Christian. What does it mean to take somebody's name? What does it mean to take somebody's name? The name is, establishes the character the reputation, that's what is uh, in a name. When we take the name of God, we are identifying ourselves with the character of God. We're to uphold the, the name. We're to uphold the standards uh, of that name. And, and so we have taken the name of the Lord. Our identity now is to be set aside of who we were before we entered into the family of God is now secondary to who we are as a, a child of God. We have our identity and we have our purpose. What is our purpose? What's your purpose? What's my purpose? And our purpose is to bring glory to God. That is now the purpose that we have in our lives, to live in such a fashion that God is glorified by the way that we speak, by the way that we act, our conduct and, and the way in which we love. And we see that we are called to love God first and then to love others, to be connected by faith and to Christ and, and to be in this relationship with the Lord by whom his love flows into our lives and onto others. We see here that at the Jerusalem Council, when they send back the, 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 abs, the things that they are to abstain, there were four things that they were to abstain. They were asking now 
to make a provision, to do these things that would love uh, the Jewish believers and not create a stumbling offense. Not by the law, but by the law of love. Because we are not underneath the law. But when we love others, we are willing to forego things that, that are right and that are allowed. But we are willing to do that so that we don't create a stumbling block for those that are around us. And so here we see that, that these abstaining, these were things now that demonstrated that there would be ways in which these Gentile believers could come alongside of the Jewish believers and, and that there would be unity. God was taking that which had been divided and he was bringing it together. The Jews and the Gentiles had, had been divided. God had called them out uh, to live amongst themselves uh, that they might be his people. But now we see that they're underneath the new covenant. There was no longer Scythian, barbarian, male or female, but we are all one in Christ. So that which had been divided was now going to come together. How were the Jews and the Gentiles that, that were so divided, how were they now going to find commonality? And how were they going to find unity in the body of Christ? We see the issue of how do we take that which is divided and bring it back together again? How do we bring about unity when there has been division? We see that this very issue being covered right now in these in scriptures that God was calling us to put aside our differences to be able to love one another in a fashion in which we are surrendering our personal rights and in order to be able to esteem others more highly than ourselves they were saying here these things are offensive to the Jews abstain from these things and then there was the morality issue abstain from immorality sexual immorality was rampant in the pagan religions oftentimes the pagan religions were were, were nothing than a rubber stamped uh, um, sexual uh, immorality of prostitution that would take place the temple worship were really just temple prostitutes and and all underneath the guise of religion as as the gentiles were coming out of the pagan religion there there was the establishment that that we are not to conduct ourselves in an immoral fashion in any way shape or form as a child of god worship god love God and love others make provision to not do those things that are going to offend somebody else that we might honor one another that we might have respect for one another that we might love one another and so we see the foundation the footwork here of this union of that which had been divided being brought together underneath love into union God's desire for us is to dwell in unity to dwell in peace with other believers uh, and that we would experience that unity that is found in Christ unity in our marriages unity in our family unity in our church unity in our community 
That is God's desire. And how do we achieve that? We achieve that by loving God and by loving others, making provision to not be offensive to others, but that we would be a blessing to those that we come in contact with. May God help us to experience that unity, that joy, that peace. How beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in peace, dwell together in unity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would help each and every one of us to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you and Jesus, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a free gift. It is not earned, but it is freely given and freely received. Help us to love one another sacrificially jesus just as you declared to us that you didn't come to be served but to serve and so may we truly serve one another in love and in humility it's in jesus holy and precious name we pray amen